Welcome to the Inner Revolution Show, where we take a journey within to uncover the inner resources deep within our soul to transform physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It is through this higher sense of knowing we are able to design and live our lives with purpose, compassion, and for the collective consciousness. Are you ready to start your own inner revolution? Come with me. Revolution, everyone. I am your host, Dr. Renee, and welcome back for season three. I am so excited to be here. I know it's been a long time in the making. You've been waiting patiently for this show to come back, and I am so grateful for all of you. Those of you who are new to listening, thank you. Please make sure that you go ahead on iTunes, go ahead and search for Inner Revolution, and go ahead and write a really lovely review for our show for those of you who have been listening for some time. But season three is going to be jam-packed as the past two seasons have been with amazing guests, amazing topics, and again, amazing areas for you to uncover things that you are looking to transform physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. So we are here with the full package ready to go for season three. I am so excited about our show tonight, especially those of you who know me, know me well. I am very passionate about this particular topic of working with our young men and our fathers and really beginning to transform ideas and pedagogical sort of ideas about masculinity. And our guest today is going to be helping us unravel and uncover some of those things that he's been doing in the community. Who am I talking about? I am talking about Ludo Gabriel, and he is the creator and sole operator of WokeDaddy.com. Check out that website. It's pretty phenomenal. And it's a platform where he shares his thoughts and life experiences about fatherhood, masculinity, personal development, and the universe. The platform has actually received international coverage. Kudos to you, Ludo, from Vice, Fox 5, and The Independent. And Ludo is a multilingual senior marketing consultant, strategist, writer, and healthy masculinity advocate. He is the CEO of DLG Media, a culturally relevant consulting agency. He's a French native, and he is the father of two and lives in New York with his family. So I am so excited to have you with us. Let me go ahead and get you on the mic right now. Ludo, can you hear me? Yes, I can. How are you? I am very good, and I am very grateful to be with you with this conversation. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. I'm so excited. And you're kicking off season three for us, so thank you for that. No, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm very happy about it. Yes, yes. And as I was mentioning in the intro, you know, we have a mutual friend and who's been on the show in the past, and this has been a topic that has really been gaining speed out in the world, thankfully, as far as people paying attention to it, writing about it, studying it, doing research, things of that nature. But, you know, can you tell our listeners who just might not be so familiar with this platform, um, one, what is Woke Daddy all about? And two, how did you get so involved in this particular platform? Well, I think the platform is more the 
the results of of a long t- I mean a lifelong experiences and about building mm-hmm. myself and and I think most importantly uh, deconstructing a lot of belief system um so it kind of climaxed into the creation of work daddy but you know I like to identify connectors you know what I like what I call connectors are those moments in life where you kind of feel internally that something is kind of shifting inside of you mm-hmm. or you know it can be it can it can feel sometimes it can feel pretty mundane but some, when you look back at it and you're like oh yeah I started to believe that because of this so basically um just to make a short story short about wokedaddy.com so um, I'm a father of two and um when I first became a father uh, of my son I was 27 years years old at this time and I was at a very different time of my life you know I was mm-hmm. working I was active I was productive in all of the sense that you know uh, you can imagine it it, it it was I've always been driven by moving forward advancing you know and just and being a father felt very natural to me I, I was very fortunate to have young parents um, you know, my mom was 19 when I was born. My my dad was 22. So I wanted to be a young father. Um, and when my son was born, quite honestly, it was really a religious experience. When he arrived, mm-hmm. I felt I felt he was special. But at the same time, I was 100% convinced that he was going to be a boy. And I was 100% <laughs> uh, petrified and scared at the idea it could be a girl and I did not really get into the why at that time I was just basically glad that he was a boy because yeah for me it made made things easier and then I will explain why um but at that time uh let's just say that it, it 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 felt very special and I I embraced my father's side but it was more the you know the providing side the you know the authoritarian side and at that time, I was not really aware how how, how those uh, rigid notion of masculinity, and we can talk about it later, of course, uh, was yeah. playing into my life. Then the 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 one of the connector that I want to talk about was uh, fast forward two and a half years later, after my son was born, I find I found myself in a situation where I was extremely unfulfilled with my my work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, and I just felt the need to quit my job because I was unfulfilled. I was unhealthy. I was sad. I was depressed. I didn't know it at that time because I didn't really kind of allow myself to be depressed. Yeah. That, the kind of thing that I would tell myself was, you know, I don't have time to get depressed, quite honestly. So that's the kind of mm-hmm. talking that was going on at that time, right? But came that moment where I could not bring myself to continue um, doing this work. And believe it or not, the most difficult thing that I had to do with that was just to tell my dad um, that I wanted to quit and with nothing in front of me, even though, you know, I, I had, I had, fin- I, I had like money in the bank. I could, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in a rush and finding something else, but just to go through that barrier of telling that to my dad, was yeah. huge for me. It was it was it was very it was very difficult. And you know, it was just like I just want you to be happy. Just do do your thing. And just that a huge burden kind of 
you know, was wow. lifted on my shoulders. And then I enjoyed my son, really. I was fully present with him. And for two months, it was beautiful, you know. Um, I, we, you know, we, we really connected on, on, on a deep level. I took him to play. I took him to so many places. We had, we had fun. But very uh-huh. quickly, very quickly, um, I felt disconnected inside of me because I was like, all right, you're not making money right now. Are you are you still a man? Do you think do you think you're still you still worthy of calling yourself a man? Because I felt mm-hmm. this this connection inside of me of I knew I felt that it was a, a, a good thing to spend time with my son, yeah. but at the same time, all of those expectations of what a man is supposed to be, and again, I wasn't in a position where I needed the money. You know, I I, I was. I was, you know, responsible, quote unquote, for a long time. So I wasn't needing anything at that time. But I just, I, 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 I didn't. I, it was almost an identity crisis, and I started right. to look. I started to look for answers. So I started to go online, and I found. So at that time, bear in mind, it was in 2014. So some people were talking about it, but not all people were talking about it. Um, the 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 conversation wasn't ripe. But it was already there, you know, the, and that's where I kind of um, got familiar with the term men box culture. So the men box, basically, it's all of the um, traditional hegemonic way we are taught of, of being men, right? So uh, be tough, be emotionally stoic, uh, be straight be um, be a womanizer essentially be a provider make money be dominant and um how can i say when i started to read about that about that culture and how number one widespread it is and number right. two how destructive it is i was like oh my god you know it's it was right. like a ha moment you know what have i done am i am i still living have I, 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 I been making my own choices in life? Why have I, have I been, you know, it was, it was very deep. Yeah. And basically, I, I, it, it never, once you come across an information like that, it, it simply does not go, go away, you know. Um, right. And then it stayed with me and I, and I continued to research and I continued to, to get acquainted with it. Um, and then, there has been a lot of steps in between, but, you know, I had a pretty deep also spiritual awakening, yeah. a very deep, um, you know, this in meditation two or three times where, you know, you really experience oneness and awe and you feel everything. Right. When I, I know, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, and when it was just part of this whole process of kind of reconnecting with, with myself and with the source, um, that kind of again climax when I knew I was going to be a father for the second time but yeah. this time I was going to be a father of a daughter and at that time I just could not number one ignore it and number two I couldn't stay silent about it so that's basically how Walk Daddy was born you know uh, it was it's, yeah. it's kind of the compilation of of my thoughts my experiences my mistakes the information I come across that I that I feel are useful and important for the world to know, 
And um, he felt very urgent for me to get this information out when my daughter was born. So basically, she was born on March 1st, 2017, and I released the platform a couple of months later. Um, mm. And I started to be active with it. Um, you know, I received um, press attention pretty quickly. Yeah. I also received attention from on the other side because, you know, when you interviewed for being, when you're being featured like that, um, you get a lot of love in one way and you get a lot of hate too. And I got yeah. a lot of hate, you know, like you get, you get really intense. And it was, um, it was actually very instructive to see that everything that I was talking about was actually manifesting, um, you know, because when right. you talk about, when you talk about this toxic culture, I don't really like the term toxic masculinity. I'll explain why maybe later, but the, the toxic culture that men are living in right now, for them, I'm just the enemy, you know? And yeah. uh, at that time, I, it felt very painful, even though I was right in what I was saying. But let's just say that now, you know, fast forward two years, I've, I've written more. I've also matured in my in my in my thinking um, and I'm trying also to be a bit more nuanced in the way I talk about it because, you know, connecting with men, connecting with their stories, obviously you understand much more when you, when you're giving context, you know? So in a nutshell, that's how it it started. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and one of the things that I've been truly fascinated by in this whole movement has been how men have been, opening their arms and embracing other men and being very sort of um, open and, you know, just embracing this whole concept. It's almost like you said before when you were talking to your father and he kind of said, I just want you to be okay. And it's like you let go of this, this ironclad armor that you were wearing for so long and you realized you really didn't have to wear it. But we, we sort of have this perception, right, of, how men are supposed to be and what these responsibilities are. And most people just want them to be happy and want them to lead fulfilling lives. And they want the wives nine times out of 10 and male partners of men, you know, when, when interviewed in qualitative research and and particularly in domestic relations, always want them to be emotional, want them to be expressive, want them to communicate. But we grow up teaching boys somehow that that's not right. And I know as an educational psychologist, it was a big thing for me working in schools and with teachers that, you know, we started to shift the way that we spoke to children in general. Um, And the freedom to allow people to be expressive emotionally has been huge. So I love it. I had a different experience than you when I found out I, my, I had my daughter first and I am an older parent. I had my kids at 37 and 39, but mm-hmm. I remember when I found out that I was having a boy the second time around, I cried. I was crying in the room and it wasn't that I wasn't grateful. I thought, oh my God, this doctor probably thinks I don't want him. <laughs> and I was just crying mm-hmm. because I knew the burden. I knew the burden from being a researcher and being an expert in child development and gender that I just knew the load he was going to have to bear. And I started to cry in that moment. And I said to his dad at the time, I said, you know, growing up as a girl in the 80s and 90s, it was 
I am woman, hear me roar. I can be anything. I can do everything. You know, doors were open for me. And it's not that we didn't deserve it or we didn't work ourselves to get there. But all of a sudden when that happens, a balance has to occur. And so when you open a platform for one, it's almost like you have to lessen it for another. And I know in schools, boys have been producing significantly less. Achievement has significantly declined emotionally, right? A lot of boys are facing a lot of issues over the last 15, 20 years. So I, I truly admire you and your work um, and all of those who are doing this work out there and getting the word out there. I know it must be tough, as you're saying, that those who are, uh, you know, really weighed down in the dogma of the patriarchy have a hard time because when you release this, the only thing that's left is all that that was suppressed. And so I can imagine as they see you as the enemy, it's because all that is coming up. You're reminding them of all the things that they have to face. And and some people just aren't ready for that. So I guess my question for you and all of that is, as you've been working with men, whether coaching or through your business or, you know, your talks and things like that, what is the one area that you find that they struggle with the most in this process of, of really redefining masculinity and, and facing these types of things? I think there's, I think there are two, there are two, ma- two main um, struggle. Number one, as you know, to acknowledge that there is an issue, you need to be aware of it. Yeah. And I think that um, the way we all socialize as boys, now it's less the case and it's going to be, increasingly better yeah but you know for example my parents you know they never told me not to express emotion you know so so I was okay I was I'm grateful that my parents my mom always you know she had this intuition very early because you know she was like you know this child even if he's, he's the boy he's allowed to cry you know and my dad, even though he was the main provider of the house you know he was cooking he was doing a lot of stuff he he took care of me so my 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 family was was great for that, but I grew up in the project. So as soon as I stepped out, that was gone, you know. So yeah. when you out and when you're in an environment that sometimes isn't safe, uh, when it's when it's boys being boys in the very traditional ways of thinking. Uh, when you know homophobia is just the culture, uh, right. where uh, domination dominance is just the culture, or when you show, uh, when you display any kind type of emotion that is outside of anger, you're at risk, and sometimes, you know, it's a it's a life and death and death situation. Right. Um, well, you you unfortunately we don't make the choice of of, of emotional stoicism. It's we uh it's men box culture that beat beat out any kind of tenderness that we have because we are we are basically our environment the self policing that is going on among among boys make is very make it very clear that uh it's unsafe for us to show any any of that uh, and when we do we are in trouble so what happens we perform. We perform in both ways. We perform to be to kind of fit, you know, because there is an hierarchy, you know, you have the, the toughest, you have the one that is, you know, the, that gets 
all of the girls' attention, you know, that, you know. So we perform that way. And we also perform because it's a performance, is an act, right? So, mm-hmm. so all of this, what I just explained in three minutes, um, it's cultural, but the wide percent, there's a wide percentage of men that think that that's what being a man is. And that's the core of the issue. The core of the right. issue is that, and that's the reason why I don't like the term toxic masculinity. I think it served its purpose. But when you say toxic masculinity, you're, you basically kind of um, talk to men in their sense of self, saying that all of those things are inherent to masculinity, but it's not. It's, a, it's the culture. It's men box culture or the patriarchy, if you want to call it like that. It's a, the, the, just a variation of the term that make us like that. We don't choose to be like that. You know? Right. And fast yeah. forward 30 years, well, number one, you need to acknowledge that it's not you. And when you wrap yourself around toxic, your identity around toxic behaviors, it's, it's hard to detach, you know? Number one, you need to be willing to do it. And then chances are your peers, your male peers, because that's the, that's the hardest, is to face your peers, is to face your fears and to face your peers. Because when, yeah. you say, when you say for publicly, all right, I take an interest in the experience of women and girl because I'm a feminist. Well, where I come from, that's not, that's not, that's not something that you do. Right. And, that, and that's why it takes, it takes courage. And, and, it's, and so I think that's, that's the number one that's the number one uh, challenge. And the second that I, w- I wanted to mention is it's asking for help. For men, right. asking for help, is just, it, it's already part of being feminine. And we've been taught very early on to kind of reject the feminine, you know? So when we ask for help, we lose our manliness or, you, or, or, or you know, or part of our manhood. So we, we are trained by society to repress all of that. So we, we sometimes um, learn to live with, with anxiety because we think that that's just the men experience. But when you understand that it's not, well, you say, well, how can I get rid of that anxiety? But many men don't, don't ask for help because number one, if they ask for help, usually they're going to they're gonna do it through their wives or to a, 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 a female partner, you know, but with boys, you don't do that. We don't do that yeah. because it's unsafe. We've been taught very early on that being emotional and, and showing emotion that are outside of anger was unsafe. And we keep that. And that's the reason we die a higher rate of suicide and depression and, and substance abuse and you, you, you name it, you, you know, yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in my one article I wrote about, the the biggest piece that I've come up with as a researcher was, you know, I was thinking of a different word instead of toxic masculinity. It's sort of wounded masculinity in the way that, you know, boys are wounded, right? They're wounded by their fathers. They're sometimes wounded by their mothers. You know, sometimes it's the mother's um, childhood traumas, right? And and wounds that 
show up and, you know, there's the mother telling the, the poor boy, you know, don't cry and this and that. Because, you know, when children become expressive in pain, it triggers us as parents. We don't like to, to feel them being in pain, but it isn't that. It's that it triggers our pain. And we mm-hmm. don't want to feel that. We want to shut it off, right? And so, you know, there's these generations and generations of wounded parents who just simply overreacted toward their children and shut them off because they couldn't stand their own pain inside. And one didn't get help or two didn't know how to get the help. Right. And, and so, yeah. And now we can sit here and, and say, Oh, well, as an adult, you have a responsibility to get your help. Of course. But a lot of people don't even know the first thing about doing the work. And so again, it's just such a brilliant area to be in today because it's so needed. It's going to have such a huge impact on the world, both for teachers. Um, I'm leading training programs, you know, in, in emotional development for teachers and their awareness. And there's so many things out there that people just aren't aware that they do. And I remember my son, I, I've spoken candidly about this before. I was um, very much in the heat of post um I had a a house fire, so I was experiencing PTSD very badly after the house fire. My kids were only two and four when we had the house fire. We're out of the home and we're, you know, living in this rental place and we're trying to just get by day to day and your life is in upheaval. And he was so little and he's just being two. And I remember having such high levels of stress and just yelling at him and just being frustrated by this child. And I remember just sitting at the bottom of the steps one day crying, just bawling mm. my eyes out, right? And and just going, my God, I've ruined him. I've ruined him. <laughs> and, you know, of course, he's, you know, he's eight today and he's fine and he's great. He's expressive and he knows he can cry any moment that he needs to. And, you know, it's no big deal. But it was just really interesting that I think a lot of mothers don't realize the impact they have on the perpetuation of this issue as well. And many women, yeah, like women like me who grew up with very, very um, divine masculine mothers, (laughs) we didn't Mm -hmm. learn how to be very nurturing and caring um, on our own accord. It's hard to do that work. And so there's so many things that we have to do. But I'm wondering too, you know, just from the work you're doing and everything like that right now, you know, what are some of the, you know, reactions of your son today? You know, does he comment on um, the work you're doing and what does he think about it? So my son is eight. So he's still... Okay, we're the same age kids. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he doesn't understand the full range of the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. But um, he, he noticed the change in me because you know one of the main reasons why I left my my my, my you know the corporate world full time when I did was that what my my reason behind it was because I wanted to spend time with him most time with him and he knows that and he noticed it you know and when yeah. I work before and I'm not around he lets me he lets me know so that's a, that's a that's a good thing that's healthy um, but I was I was actually um, when he was young, I was I was strict. I was tough with him, um, and uh, he may it's it's still for me very difficult to um, forgive myself um, for for being so uh, strict sometimes with him at a young age. Um, 
and uh, and uh, you know we are all on the path. And I remember when he was very little, he was browsing through Netflix and he wanted to watch Barbie, and I mm-hmm. said no. I said mm-hmm. no to him, and I said, and he was like, why? I said because it's not for you, you know. And at that time, it felt wrong for me to say, but it was a, a while ago, you know. But yeah. I I still said it, and and he got it. Unfortunately, then yeah. obviously when I made mistakes like that, um, I tried to repair and I come back and I apologize. And but um, you know what you were just sharing with us before, how you yell at you know you two year old because you were in a high level of stress and things like this. I feel like that too. I made so many mistakes. Um, yeah. When he was young, uh, I have a very hard time forgiving myself making them um but i'm i'm honest with it i'm we talk about it uh we talked about it uh, we talk a lot actually um we connect in many levels you know so again as, as same as you you know he's fine and 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 you know and he is doing great at school he's you know we have we share so many interests we are very very close um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I feel the need to keep the conversation going and to apologize, um, every time, every time that I, you know, I do something that, that is, that is not okay, of course. Um, but, um, but aside from that, I think, um, he does, he's not really aware of, of what I read about, you know, that I write and, you know, it's part of my activities, um, because mm-hmm. work that even though it's two years in the making, it's it's still an ongoing process and it's not 100% of what I do, unfortunately yet. Um, right. But, uh, but, he, but he knows that he has a, you know, he's a big brother now and he has a sister and we are very, we are very mindful in the messages that we send him as he mm-hmm. comes to, as it comes to gender, what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. You know, we introduce, we introduce, you know, terms like, um, or concept like consent and things like that, because, you know, sometimes, you know, he's excited. He wants to kiss us and, and we have to respect, you know, when we say no, it's no, when it's enough, it's enough. So it's more like that, that we, that I try to educate him because this is absolutely not something that, that, that I had as, as, as a kid, not because my parents were not aware, but it was just not part of the conversation the way it is now you know um right but that's the way we do it we because we also watch a lot of entertainment together when i see something questionable i pause and i and i impact when i'm here um so just to give you i always give this uh anecdote because for me it's it's been and it was serendipitous because it was the day um or a couple of days after his sister was born, and we were we were watching the you know the classic movie, The Sandlot, you know. Mm-hmm. And there is a, oh yeah. And there, and there is a scene there where they are playing baseball, you know, with all of their friends, and and they they are like in the field of another team, and the two teams are basically arguing. They're arguing over the field. Mm-hmm. And they go back and forth in insults, and one of the boys say, "You play ball like a girl," and everybody stops talking, like mm-hmm. it's the ultimate insult, right, that a boy can receive. So I had to pause there 
and I had to explain why it was not an okay thing to say. And bear in mind, right. his movie is like 25 years old or something like this. Uh, right. Um, but um, so some, you know, sometimes, and he was laughing, you know, when it was happening. So I had to unpack it. And, and it just shows you sometimes, even in movie that seems, you know, I mean, it's a great movie. It's a great story. It's not made to hurt anyone, but some portion of it did not age as great. So because oh, the culture exactly. was different. Because the conversation yeah. was, you know, and, and we, we watch it with our adult lenses and he watched it with a six-year-old lenses. And I have to, as a father, this is the kind of type of thing that I do now, you know. I am right. back because they, they hear so many things, much, many more things that we think they hear. They hear that, that they build like that, not based on what we teach them, but based on what they see and what they believe. So that's how we, that's how I kind of transmit the way, uh, part of my work to him right now. Mm, that's beautiful. And, and I think a lot of parents who are listening will really pick up on that, that sometimes we use TV and Netflix and Amazon and all these kinds of things to just give us a few minutes while we go and rush and start cooking dinner or we run and go do laundry or, you know, we're over here doing this and that. And we're not always really being present while they're watching things. And so we miss yeah. a lot, but but it's so important that we do a good job of you know, the things that we know are going to come up that are just derogatory for whatever reason. You know, we've made huge strides in things. We, we wouldn't dare use, you know, racially derogatory terms on a casual basis or derogatory terms towards sexual orientation. But for some reason, pronouns of gender haven't quite caught up yet. And they're getting there, mm -hmm. right? They're definitely getting there. You know, it was interesting. I was yeah. going to ask your opinion on this, too. You know, Many times we, in, in the idea of balance, you know, we tend to focus on one over, over the other versus the mutually reciprocal effect of what this does for both boys and girls. And I was thinking of my daughter. She's now going to be 10 in a couple of weeks, and she's a powerhouse girl. And I will mm -hmm. say that because everything she does is just over the top. <laughs> and um, <laughs> she said to me recently, I was talking about her future. And I, she's been very clear to me since she was a little girl. She does not want to get married. And I used to be like that as well. And uh, I just kind of chuckle at it and just listen to it. But, you know, I was thinking to myself, nobody would question that. Nobody would challenge that. You know, nobody would say that there's anything wrong. Yet, if we look at it traditionally, it's completely out of alignment with what a woman should do, right? Even today, many women don't get married, but still deep, deeply entrenched within us. If we hear a little girl talk about not wanting to get married, we think it's so cute and we giggle and we're like, yeah, you don't need a man. And, you know, we, mm -hmm. we talk that way. But when they get to be 35, 40 and they're saying they still don't want to get married, all of a sudden there's this culturally biased thing. Oh, my God, well, you're going to grow old by yourself and, you know, mm -hmm. this, this and that. And so it is interesting that we see these things emerge regardless, right, on both sides. But people are just so much more carefree and understanding if it's related to a girl. And so, you know, I'm wondering if you've ever had any conversation kind of come up related to that in some of your work. Well, I, I have m many conversations with that, and I, I'm happy you're talking also about about girls, the experience of girls and women, 
because what I've, I experienced two things. Um, number one, uh, I what's fascinating to me um, as a man um, is witnessing so many women a victim of um, un- internalized, uh, you know, uh, machism basically um yeah so i'm gonna give, i'm gonna give you an example so my um my mother-in-law she is um so my, my my wife is hispanic she's a lifelong feminist born and raised in new york she's more than the powerhouse she's just wow <laughs> but my 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 mother-in-law she's very traditional very religious very kind of the opposite of it right and one yeah. time she said to my she said to my wife she was like but now all, all, all that what women want is just freedom and to be like just men. And I'm like, well, yeah, don't, what, don't you want that? Don't you want to have the equal rights and opportunities, isn't it? And I think inter- internalized, it's so internalized, um, uh-huh. many things like that, that they don't even realize it. And, and that's painful to witness sometimes because, as you just said, you know, uh, it's internalized misogyny. It's ex- it's it's literally yeah. what it is, um, and it's very present. You see it a lot these days because everything is so polarized. So when you have uh, women also g- going in, in 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 the in the pro life movement, you know, or and not and failing to have empathy for so many people that suffer. And I want to make they want to make their own choices, you know. So that's what I see. For me, this is fascinating um, as yeah. a phenomenon to witness as a man, you know. Um, and then I would I would say that you don't have to also go to in in into women that are like older for that. I'm gonna give you a very quick story also that I found mm-hmm. was fascinating. Um, I picked up my daughter from daycare, so she's two. And um, one day when I pick her up, um, uh, the, you know, the teacher that, that, you know, that took care of her and and the small group, she was like, oh, you know, she has a little boyfriend. They are like old ends and things like that. Mm. And then she made a comment. She said, you know, yes, you have to find yourself a good husband and, and yes, so that he can pay bills or something like that. And then I said... (laughs) I said, you know, what about she pays? She pays the bills. How about that? You know, yeah. not, not in a bad way because I could, I could tell that he wasn't coming from a, from a bad place. You know, right? You know, she was just yeah. Being um, Thank God your wife but, wasn't there, huh? <laughs> yes, but I, I don't think she would have. I mean, I don't think she would have snapped because you can. I think content and con- context is everything. You're I think right. when something is said. I, I'm trying also to be mindful of this because, as I said right before, everything is so polarized right now that everybody gets triggered very quickly. We cannot have a conversation. We also fail to see that everybody is on their own path and that we don't mm-hmm. evolve at the same rhythm. But right. it's so valuable because that, that teacher, she was 21 and she was already conditioned, you know, that the, 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 the boyfriend had to be the provider and pay all of the bills and and you have to find yourself a good one, you know? Um, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I have experiences like that. And, and, and again, for me, internalized misogyny is, is, is the most fascinating thing to me. So uh, another, another aspect is uh, chill, chivalry, right? So I open the door yeah. for you. I, 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 I buy dinner for, for the dates. 
So you will have a lot of, I, I have a lot of women, strong women friends that are feminists and they are like, you know, let's get out there and let's get, you know, gender equal, equality a reality in the United States, right? But on the other hand, if the, if the man doesn't pay for the date, for dinner for the first date or something like this, they are not going to call him again. So <laughs> I, I asked them, I said, right? but do you realize that this is internalized misogyny, right? Like the reason why um, you're expecting that is, is solely based on, uh, on, on very old, you know, traditions and you have no problem with it. So, so yeah, I, I see that. And I think a lot of people also fail to recognize how gender equality was also a reality because, you know, birth control appeared, uh, you know, in, in our lives, which right. changed everything. And yeah. it's what? 50, it's 50 years old. So that conversation is is kind of now bubbling, but it's still so early, you know. It's early yeah. to think about the fact that women having agency over their own body and also... Um, able to open a bank account and we're not talking centuries we're talking talking 50 60 years ago you know yeah you bring up some really really important aspects and i was thinking how many times i've heard that even with my own children you know oh it's his girlfriend oh it's her boyfriend and my children are even provoked by it they don't like it Mm -hmm. they're really uncomfortable by it and I said, you yeah. know, and I've, I've said this many times on Instagram, so people who follow me hear me say this all the time, but these children right now under the age of 10 are part of this group that we call the age of Aquarius children, right? And they are the new mm-hmm. dimension. And they are even slightly neurologically hardwired differently. And we know it to be true just by the way that they perform and in schools and things like that and what their needs are and how emotionally sensitive they are. Um, you know, their sleep patterns are different. Their overall reactions to food. Why do, they, why do we have more allergies? People just think it's because we've withheld food, but it's not. It actually has a lot to do with this aspect of evolution. And so it's really, really beautiful that you know, now we're at this point with these kids and the old school kind of comes out every once in a while. And I had an example once where I remember my mom was just simply talking about something and I just responded and I said, well, someday when Alex's partner comes to me and starts to talk to me about what he was like as a little boy, I can't wait to tell him these horrible stories, you know, or her these horrible stories. And my mom said, what do you mean him or her? And I said, Mom, we don't know what he's going to, you know, end up loving mm-hmm. someday. We have no idea. He's, he was only six at the time. And she said, well, of course he will marry a woman. I said, Mom, how do we know this to be true? And yeah. I remember you know, that whole ingrained indoctrination, you know, and um, even showing up like that. And so, yes, I think we have to do a much better job of really paying attention to the words we're choosing to use, the vibration we're sending out in all of the things that we do with our children and allowing them to feel accepted no matter what they want to do, no matter what sport, no matter, you know, lack thereof, music. My son took ballet. I'm Russian. It's a, yeah. it's a very normal thing for us, um, for mm-hmm. boys to dance. But you know, it, it was so crazy just to see that there was like, he was the only boy in the entire class. I'm like, where are all the other boys at? So, yeah, we have a long way to go, don't we, my friend? Yes. And and bear in mind that I'm in New York City, you know, 
and yeah. even there you, you you have conversations like that so even in the most you know supposedly liberal places um i mean it's just it's 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 very early it's a, it's a very early conversation and i yeah. think um because people i think uh, especially the activists the advocate it it's never fast enough and i get that especially because especially when you talk about women's rights and when you have, when you see the rates at, at which, you know, women are being, you know, raped or when, or are victim of, of, of violence, of course, uh, it, yeah. it cannot be fast enough. But if you consider the, the entire, when you take a bird view of it all, and I've, I'm trying to train myself to do that because sometimes I get into conversation and I'm trying to be as open as possible, but I'm like, Oh my goodness. But, Oh, can you? Are you living in another century or another dimension? I don't know. But when you take a bird view, you realize that this is all of the this acceleration that we are going through right now. Not everybody is experiencing is experiencing it at the same rate, and right. um, and the conversation has accelerated. I think, um, and I think the expectation of people also that have accelerated. And are not taking into account that the masses do not go at the same pace. So that's one of my key learning. And also one of my learning uh, is that, aside from the fact that we all evolve at a different pace, is that I've seen how come how, how far I've come. Um, and um, and that's if you would have asked me if you would have told me, you know, maybe 10 years ago, seven years ago, or, you know, um, you know, you're working, you're providing for your family. Yeah. But you, you might still be, you know, doing or engaging in some toxic behavior. I would have been so defensive. I would have been like, you know, what? fuck you. I'm, I have a wife. Right. I have a, you know, I'm providing for my family. I'm working. What do you want from me? You know, you're talking to me about my toxic masculinity. And I think that's where a lot of men are right now is that yeah. a lot of men they are they are just basically they have the they have the feeling of performing the way they've been told to perform you know you know if a man if he was a womanizer even 10 years ago that was the way it was glorified on television on media i mean it still is in some extent right yeah so once once you're being told to do something your entire life and you come to a point where boom very brutally now it's you have to change everything it's not i think it's i i know it's very hard to hear especially when you're a woman and especially when you're a victim of abuse or you have been a victim of abuse and it's not it's not that we need patience but we need a little bit of compassion because and and it's a, it's hard to hear and it's hard to accept for many people but um but many men need that right now because I think the vast majority obviously are not predators or they are not violent, but they are just silent, you know, witness, you know, they are by, by standing, you know, basically. Yeah. And I think it doesn't take much to lean into them and explain how they've been the victim of a culture versus, you toxic masculinity you just uh, you're just a bad guy you know i think that's where we might find you know the way back to each other 
And unfortunately, it starts with compassion, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I was thinking when you mentioned before, I, I think it was a post you had put in your story or something along the way. And, you know, many of us really simply just didn't know what to do when we became parents. I didn't have yep. a clue. I, you know, I'm the youngest. I never babysat anyone. I never changed the diaper until I was probably in my 20s and I had to babysit someone one time. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, I was the career-oriented woman. I think in my high school class, this is the funniest thing about us, I was voted least likely to have children. <laughs> and I don't <laughs> think it was because they didn't think I'd be good with children because I wanted to be a pediatrician back then. But I think they saw myself just like, you know, being career-oriented. And they're like, Nash, you probably should stay away from kids. And then here I become a, you know, a school psychologist. But I think the funny part is that many of us just simply didn't know, both men and women, we don't grow up under, knowing these things. And there's an expectation that once that baby comes out, boy, you just know exactly what to do. No. And it's it's so stressful when you can't soothe the little one and you can't comfort them. And they're triggering all the stuff that you don't even know is inside of you. And all of a sudden, here you are feeling like you're a mess and you feel like a failure and you feel like you're letting down everybody. And it's a huge burden to bear. I carried it as well. And so I just have to say thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, I hope that you thank continue you. to go on and reach the masses because it's so important. I know that both my son and daughter will benefit from this work. And so my, my last question as we're getting here to the end always is, you know, what impact do you really want to leave through the work that you're doing here on the world? So the, the impact is I want to contribute to, to, to create a healthier, um, a healthier culture of masculinity because, you know, when we grew up, where I grew up, the icons, the men, the men that we looked up to, and I'm not talking about my family, I'm talking about the stars, the, the people that you see on TV, they are all, all of, the, all of the key characters, most of them, they are all engaging in toxic behaviors, you know, yeah. all of them. Um, and I think this is cultural again. Um, and I think my goal is to show a different way, a different idea, basically, you know, basically showing how the divine masculine can manifest uh, on earth and, and how we can rule in communion with the divine feminine it would be it, yeah. that would be if in a nutshell that that's my goal and i think the one of the way we do that is to is through content so um i'm currently working on a documentary it's going to take a little while but i want to show i want to show that i want to show number one how we got it how we got here you know on the macro scale you know how as I explained before, you know, up until 50 years ago, there was no birth control. So the gender roles were, were really attached to what was biolo biologically feasible for a long time. Yeah. And now we're shifting in another reality. And obviously, it's going to take time. And I think if we show that reality, and if we show in parallel how women are suffering right now, but men are also suffering too because women are being basically um, the victim of men in a lot of ways. 
and men are the victims of themselves because they kill each other and they kill and they kill themselves. Um, yeah. And then if we show that right now, right at, at the moment we're talking, so many men are, are engaged in healing in groups and it's happening all over the world, I think we would have a different conversation. Um, I think we will normalize uh, a healthy way of processing emotion for men. Um, I think also it is important that men that fit the traditional masculinity criteria come out and show themselves as being vulnerable, just like Justin Baldoni did it, or Ted yeah. Cruz, um, not Ted Cruz, um, what's his name, the very muscular guy I follow all the time, um, an African-American actor, I'm, I'm sorry, um, Terry Crews, sorry. You know, oh, those, yes, those, yes. Those, you know, those very masculine figures that have big following, those are the men that we need to kind of, I don't want to say convert because that's not the right world, but if they, I think those are the ones that can also change the culture. You know, pop culture, if pop culture switch, I can guarantee you that it's going to change in the streets, it's going to change at school, it's going to change Absolutely. because those, those children, they look up to that. To them and if we if we manage to to switch the perspective in hollywood or you know through content content creation and things like that it will change the world i'm sure about that wow beautiful beautiful thank you so much for being here today i really appreciate it and can you let our listeners know how they can reach you Yes, so my uh, website is wokedaddy.com so w o k e daddy.com and on Instagram, Twitter, you can find me at Ludo Gabriel. So it's L-U-D-O-G-A-B-R-I-E-L-E. Awesome. And I will go ahead and have that recorded here in our studio notes. Um, Once the show is published, all you guys that are listening now will be able to see that information. Ludo, thank you so much for being here today. Continue on in your greatness and it has been a pleasure getting to know you. Likewise, thank you very much, Renee, for the opportunity. I really had a good time. Thank you for listening to the Inner Revolution Radio Show. If you haven't already done so, check us out on iTunes. And also check out our website at www.transcendentheart.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Dr. Renee One Life. Have yourself an amazing week.